There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Father, we are so amazed at that reality. That one day, not only hundreds of thousands of people, but billions of people will bow before you and declare that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. What a day that will be. Thank you that you are, we are on your side. Thank you that, Christ, you win the battle. And we are so thankful that you have called us your own. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last uh, number of months, we've been tackling the book of Revelation. And uh, today we want to just take a few moments to not only do a little bit of a summary of that book, but also to uh, encourage uh, us as God's people to continue to live in the book to live in Revelation, understand its overarching themes and to allow it to guide us and influence us and continue to direct our thinking. And so uh, today, uh, Pastor Barry and I are going to take turns. Uh, we're doing a bit of a tag team uh, through the morning service and we're going to try and highlight different themes uh, of the book of Revelation that are beneficial for us, um, reminders and also uh, beneficial for us. Uh, one of the things that we hope to accomplish when we took on the book of Revelation was to take away the fear that congregations might have of the book, to take away the um, uh, tensions and divisions that sometimes occur within a congregation as you tackle a book such as the book of Revelation, and to try and overlook or put behind us some of the bizarre and mysterious uh, things that people say to try and explain its images, and rather understand that God meant the book of Revelation to be understandable. He meant it to edify us or to help us or to encourage us, and he meant it to be enjoyable. And so as we approach the book, we did so with a, a couple of emphasis in mind. Uh, one of them is to uh, use this phrase, and I think you, it was the title of the series, Heaven's Perspective on Earth. We wanted us to realize that uh, this physical world is not the only dimension in which we live. This physical world is not the only influence in our lives, but in fact, there is a whole spiritual reality that in fact has a greater influence on this world than the physical world all around us. And one of the phrases that we use the time and time again are things are not only as they seem, or things are not as they seem. Uh, things are not as they seem to your eyes. Things are not as they seem to your ears, to your senses. Or maybe a better way of putting it are things are not only as they seem. There's a whole lot more going on in the world in which we live than just the things that we can see and hear and smell and taste. And so that's one of the emphasis that we've wanted to try us to, to instill in our hearts and minds and to remind us as we go through this year again, as you listen to the news, as you face conflicts in the world in which you live, to understand that there is a spiritual reality, there is an invisible reality that is guiding and directing the course of physical reality. The second thing we wanted us to wrestle with as we went through this book was this notion that Revelation is written to help us live our lives. It's not a book that is written so that we can kind of cast our gaze years down the road, hundreds of years down the road to what may happen, but it's a book that was written by a specific person to specific people living in specific cities at a specific time in history to meet their specific needs. 
And as we wrestle with that reality, we understand that, that their needs are similar to our needs, that their requirements are similar to our requirements. And so as we've wrestled with this book, it's to help us understand and battle with these questions as we live in this world. Who is it that I will worship? Because there are so many idols that are cast out before us and that are cultivated in our own heart. And we need to ask, who will I worship? And to whom will I give my ultimate allegiance as I go out from here, as I go into my workaday world, as I live in my neighborhood, as I go to my school? Who will I worship? Who will gain my allegiance? Who will I listen to? And as you know, there are a huge number of value systems out there. Um, people that try and tell you you should live like this or you should live like that. Revelation helps us understand that there are different value systems out there and it matters which value system you choose. And then finally, what will shape my lifestyle? What is it that will guide the decisions that I make? Will it be the kingdom of darkness or will it be the kingdom of heaven? Will it be the present or will it be the future? And so these are practical questions that the book of Revelation addresses for you and I today. And that's been part of our emphasis and we want to remind you that it ought to be your emphasis in the coming year as well. And then finally, the book of Revelation is not a book that is written to sort of give us insight or, or to try and help us understand what is coming uh, years down the road, although it does open up some uh, avenues to understand how this world will end. But it's also a book that has been written to help us understand how we ought to live in these last days, the days between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And so as we think about the book, our, our main point or our main issue today is revelation is the self-revelation of our sovereign God to the churches through an authoritative word about a risen, exalted, reigning, returning Lamb of God. And so just a few thoughts around the sovereign God. We want to remind ourselves, and it's helpful to remind ourselves in the world in which we live, that God is absolutely and comprehensively sovereign over all the affairs of mankind. I say all mankind because not even the most wicked person, not even the most wayward government is outside of the sovereign rule and reign of God. And as we face this world, and who knows what is coming in this year ahead, we face it with this undying, unwavering, growing confidence that God is sovereign. One of the words or phrases that is used in Revelation seven times, and seven is a significant number in the book of Revelation, is that our God is the Lord God Almighty. It's a reminder to us that there is nobody more powerful, there is nobody stronger, there is nobody that has more influence in this world than the Lord God Almighty. And we find this revelation of God, uh, particularly in Revelation 4 and 5. In Revelation 4, we read there that as John was taken up into heaven, what did he see? He saw a throne. And what did he see on the throne? He saw one seated on the throne. And so we've been describing for us that, that, um, that one of the ways in which we can picture that or understand that is like a control tower over an airport which guides and directs all the incoming flights and all the vehicles that move around and just guides all the direction and the traffic, even though you might not see it in the airport. Well, God, in a much more exponential way, guides the traffic of this universe from the control tower of heaven. And there's great confidence that we have that God is 
leading and guiding and directing this world. And one of the ways that we have confidence is to understand the culmination of the praise of the people of God. What is it that they focus on when they think about the sovereign control of God? Well, at the end of Revelation chapter 4, you read how they bow down and worship him and they say, um, worthy, are you, or worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. And this is why. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Do you know that applies to every single person? That applies to every single animal? That it describes to every single star, every single thing that is on this earth, in this earth, under this earth, in this universe? They exist because God created them. And if God has created them, if by his will they exist, then certainly God is sovereign over them. We find God's sovereign will revealed in the scroll in chapter 5, which tells us that there is writing on the inside and outside, which reminds us and is meant to uh, tell us that God knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows how history will unfold. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is everything that happens is contained within God. God is outside of this universe, and everything in this universe falls under the power and guidance and direction of God, even the judgment of the world, which we see described through the book of Revelation. And finally, one of the things that I find so comforting to know about God, one of the ways that I describe the book of Revelation, which has come uh, as I've thought it through in ways that I sort of summarize it for me, is that I will make it. That's one of the overriding senses of confidence that has grown from me as I've spent hours in this book, is I will make it. And why will I make it? In part because God has sealed me. Because God has numbered me. Because he has set his mark upon me. He has identified me by his name. He will never let me go. He will never lose me. He will never give me up. In fact, as we live in this world, the angel says to the one that's about to bring the judgments of God upon the earth, don't harm them until we seal the slaves of our God. And I am so confident and I am so thankful and I am so full of praise and awe that God has sealed me. He has set me apart. He has named me as one of, one of his own. I am numbered among the host of men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue that will worship him. And so we go into this new year and we read Revelation again and again with this confidence that our God is a sovereign God. Amen. Happy New Year. It's the last time I get to say that, I think, so. The point of this, if you're visiting with us, is that we spent a lot of time in the book of Revelation. In the New Year, we want you to use the book of Revelation. We want it to be accessible to you. We want it to be part of your repertoire of, of how you understand God to keep you as a Christian. In other words, when, when we're in, in glory and the Lord say to me, I gave, you, I gave you my revelation of Jesus Christ, what have you done with that? But our response wouldn't be, are you kidding, man? I wouldn't go near that book. Like, I just, I don't go, like, it just scares me to death. I'm not going there. Or, oh, that was awesome. I, I won every argument I ever had about the book. 
Or, you know, I cowered in my, fe- in, in my bed with fear every time I, I read it. And, you know, the irony is that the book wasn't given to create fear. It was given to drive out fear. So the goal of this morning is to uh, just to communicate this thing that in glory we should be able to say, you gave me the book of Revelation, and I used it as you intended it to enable me to walk in a world that tempted and pressured me to compromise. And it enabled me to endure. Paul gave the main point, and I get the prepositions. I'm so excited. I get the prepositions. It's, it's a revelation of God to the churches or for the churches. The book is bookended in this way. It said, it said John identifies himself with the church right at the beginning. I, I'm one of your brothers. I'm one of the ones that is suffering like you are. And then as the vision of Christ expands in, in chapter 1, you, you, you see in the right hand of that omnipotent being the churches, the seven churches. And you get a, a rising sense in the book that there is something coming for those churches. And the book, end of the book also closes with these very definitive words about the intention and the purpose of the book. I, Jesus, sent an angel to you, John, to testify about these visions for the churches. For the churches. And so, sadly, the opposite is often the case in the church. That the revelation isn't received as an encouragement to the church. Instead, it's a, it's a book of neglect. It's a book of intimidation. And if there's anything I would love for you to take home from this series is that you would learn to love and adore this book. To understand that the visions that God gave to John were not given to scare the church. They're not given to perplex the church. They weren't given to give a crystal ball of the future, but to comfort the church with the only thing that could heal them of all of their fears and all of their compromises, and that was a definitive revelation of, of God himself. So you read through the book. This is, this is what you should get out of it. You should be able to read through the book of Revelation in the coming year, close the book and say, I will not be afraid. If you can say that through the book of Revelation, you have understood exactly the purpose for which God has given it. I will not cower in my bed. I'll I'll listen to the news. I won't run and hide in all that is going on in the world in which we live. So much that perplexes me. So much that is tempted to fear in my own heart. And I'll say, I will not be afraid. All the changes that I see in my world, all of the things that are taking over our our institutions and our schools and and the, the curriculum and the sexual revolution and all the things that our children and grandchildren are are being reared with it, I will not be afraid, nor will I be pressured to compromise. We need the visions. All of us need them because God has given them as an instrument to enable the churches to persevere through this world. It's not an optional book for the super spiritual. It's a necessity for each one of us because of the instrument in God's hands that it is to take the church that is struggling with its earthiness, with its Babylonianness, with its compromises, and take that church and through the visions, 
turn them Godward as an instrument. Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit of God says to the churches. If a person was handed the book for the first time and read through it, they'd get two things out of the book, even if they'd, they'd never seen it before. This is what they would get. Well, there's some churches in there that are really messed up. <laughs> That's pretty obvious. They'd get that. And then they would say this. They would say that, well, then there's a revelation of a God who is very, very big. And those two ideas go together. Can you see that? When we get to the end of all that, that the Lord has to say in the, the epistles to the seven churches, it begins with, and then I saw. You see, and then all that John sees isn't just to think, well, this might interest you as well. You know, I, I've given you what I need to say, and, and this might interest you as well. No, all that John sees is the balm to heal them of all that terrifies them, of all that is pressurizing them to compromise. And you can't separate the visions from the churches because the churches are under pressure. And I'm convinced of this. I, I, as I get older, I'm more and more convinced of this. You know, you know why we compromise? Do you know why our, our lives are filled with idols? It's because we're driven by fear. Fear. And so that's why, see, there's irony in the way that the evangelical church handles the book. It's not given to create fear. We need the book of Revelation to scare the stuff out of you. No, it's to, it's to calm our fear. We fear the wrong thing. I was reading in the book of Isaiah recently, and it says, it says this, The Lord spoke with his strong hand upon me, and he warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear. You know the fears of the world? I sure know the fears of the world. Don't fear what they, what they fear. And it says, Do not be in dread. And the revelation is the healing balm for churches that are tempted to compromise because they're driven by fear. As you read through the book, and this is what the, kind of the echo that we want in the room, is why we're coming back. It's a bit of an odd New Year's Day message, New Year's Week message, but we, we want there to be a reverberation. We want there to be an echo in the room. We want to be able to have things that we can refer to. We want there to be new vocabulary, like, like Babylonianness, that we can refer to. And as you read through the book, I would encourage this, one simple thing. Read through it as a whole. It would be one of those books that would benefit most by taking the chapter divisions and the verse divisions completely out of it. Ignore them. Sit down and, and read it as a whole. And don't get obscured with the details or perplexed with the details like you were on a, on a, on a mountaintop with an incredible landscape of grandeur beauty. You can't see exactly what kind of tree that is down there in the third valley, but you know that, that the, the scene is magnificent. So with the book of Revelation. Read it as a whole. Take in the vast scope with which God intends it to, to help a church that is suffering from the pressure to compromise. And don't worry about, well, you know, who, who are those two prophets anyway? <laughs> or, 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 or what are the frogs? Uh, um, what is, is the mark of the beast? Is that MasterCard or Visa? I need to know. Is, is, Putin, is Putin the beast or, 
or secondly that it is an authoritative word. Don't you love how the book of Revelation ends? It ends, it ends with a, a revelation of God. You ever left the house with teenagers in the house and generally your last word is, is one of rule and law, I'll bet. You be in bed by, if you do this or, and that's, you think, well, maybe that's how the book of, of God's word would end. Don't you? You better not. This is God's final word. And it has a special weight of authority within all of the books of scripture and it begins this way bless it it has the authority to bless that's why we read it it has the authority blessed are those who read it then it ends with another affirmation of its authority in chapter 22 cursed are those who would change anything of this book it is a summary revelation of all of revelation it has a special place in god's word as the final word to give us a lens by which to understand all of the books of the bible it is a definitive summary of all that god says through his apostles through his epistles even through his through the lord when he walked on this earth the book of revelation is more than just a book of the bible it is a book that defines all of the books of the bible by making sure that we understand every book of the Bible in its proper light. Another reason, can you see why it's so important to read it? It's so easy for us to take different components of the Bible with different aspects of the message of, of God's character of, of redemption and segregate them. And the book of Revelation brings them all together into one message and it lays it at the feet of Jesus Christ. It puts a special authoritative stamp and lands and, and grounds all of authority in this particular book at the feet of Jesus. You know, the path that I have found to understand this book, and boy, there's a lot of different paths. The most single most important path that I have used is which path makes Jesus greater? And you just ask that question as you begin to, if you study this book, which path has a greater Lord? greater majesty, greater authority. And it lays all of the, the words of the apostles and the prophets at the foot of the Lamb. And so no matter where you read in the Bible, the book of Revelation helps you to understand the definitive way in which God would have us understand it. If we were a persecuted church, and I came to church, and we said, you're no longer allowed to have a Bible, we've got one here, and we're gonna split it up. Which book would you like? I would come to the front and I would say, do you still have the book of Revelation? Do you still have it? Can I, can I please have the book of Revelation? Because it is the definitive authoritative summary of all that God has to say to his people through his apostles and through his prophets. Are you reading in Genesis about creation? Well, then you would understand that there, there should be thoughts in your head about revelation. Oh, yes, there's the definitive word about God as the maker of heaven and earth. Are you reading in the Psalms about prayers? Oh, there is a definitive understanding of what prayers are like. They're ascending to the throne of God. Are you reading about the, about the conquest of Egypt? Well, there's the definitive statement in the book of Revelation about the contest and God's definitive deity over anything that would ascend into his place and so these are the things that we want echoing in the room as we go through the book of revelation 
So we want you to grow in your confidence that God is a sovereign God in control of all things seated on his throne in heaven. We want you to understand that as the people of God, we ought not to be afraid of anything because God has said that the gates of hell will prevail against the church or will not prevail, sorry, against the church. Just checking if you're listening. <laughs> we want you to know that Without the book of Revelation, there would be a lot of loose ends left to Scripture. And it is a great guide to the culmination of so many amazing things that God has taught and wanted us to know through out the Word of God. And then finally, Revelation is a culmination of the revelation about Jesus Christ. And in fact, it begins that way in verse 1, and it leaves no doubt about what this book is about. It is about a revelation of Jesus Christ. And woven throughout this book is the confidence that Jesus is the risen, exalted, reigning, returning Lamb of God. And that is something that we ought to fix our minds on and put our hopes in as we move ahead into uh, this coming year. Revelation, again, just as a reminder to us to, to reveal something means to pull back the cover from it, to lift up the lid from it. We had a revelation at Christmas time uh, in our homes as we pulled off the wrapping paper and exposed what was uh, covered or concealed by that wrapping paper. Revelation, in many ways, is the peeling back, the exposing of the fullness and the glory of Jesus Christ. Few things that are revealed there. How is Jesus made known? Barry spoke about fears that people have. One of the greatest fears that people have is the fear of death. And that those who live in the fear of death are guided by that reality. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has conquered death. And one of the things that the book of Revelation reminds us again and again is that Jesus Christ is not in the grave. In fact, one of the things that it states right off the beginning in verse 4 is that Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead. The grave could not hold him, as we sang a little bit earlier. He has been raised by the power of God. A little bit later, it says in verse 18, as Jesus is speaking to John, he says, I was dead, but look, I am alive forevermore. What an amazing sight John must have had if he had any doubt that, that Jesus wasn't alive. If, it, if he had any doubt that maybe what he saw for those 40 days was, was not the risen Lord. It was all put to rest in this revelation on that particular day when Jesus Christ appeared to him in all of his glory and said, Look, I'm alive. And it is a confidence to you and I to know that if Christ has conquered death, then we who are in Christ also ought not to be afraid of death. And not only has Christ risen from the dead, but he has been exalted by the Father. As Philippians tells us, he is the highly exalted one. And as John turns to hear this voice that is speaking to him now in Revelation chapter 1, he says, then I turned to see the voice. He heard a voice, and so he turned around and he wanted to see the voice that was speaking to him. And it was a one that was, uh, um, uh, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of those lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. 
The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Why? Because he saw Christ in all his glory, in his exalted power and might. He saw him. And so Christ is the risen, exalted Lord at the right hand of the Father. Not only is he risen, not only is he exalted, but the book of Revelation tells us that Christ is reigning, and it describes his reign as he is the one who has the authority to accomplish God's purposes in this world. He is the one who is able to take the scroll, which nobody else could take in chapter 5, and open it up and reveal, and in fact, bring about the purposes of God in this world. Who is Christ reigning over? Well, the Bible tells us he's reigning over the church. This is a wonderful thing right now that, yes, you might have deacons and, and elders. Yes, you might have those that rule over the church here. But ultimately, Christ is reigning over the church. For Revelation describes him as walking amongst the seven lampstands. And it describes in various ways about how Jesus knows what we're going through, how Jesus knows where we live, how Jesus knows the tribulations that we face, how Jesus knows the temptations that we experience, how Jesus knows that maybe even some of us are dying for our faith. He reigns over his churches. He lives among his churches. Right now he is present here in our midst. But he's not just reigning over the churches. Revelation 5 to 20 describes the reign of Christ over this world in which we live right now. And that during this last days, as Paul says, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. We need not fear because Christ right now is reigning over Canada. I was driving home from Victoria with Kathy the other day listening to a talk show. And I finally said to her, I am so mad. Because I was listening to, and I'll say, tax after tax after tax that are being poured out on, on people in, in, in British Columbia and in Canada. And I was mad, and I thought, can nobody stop this madness? But above all of that, Christ is reigning. And so if I have to give up 90% of my income to taxes, <laughs> Christ is still on the throne. And not only is Christ on the throne of this world over above all the kingdoms of this world, it says that when the saints die, when you and I who are in Christ die, we are raised to um, reign with Christ, and all those who have departed ahead of us who are now in heaven are reigning with Christ. I don't understand that. I don't fully know what that looks like, but I know there is purpose. I, I know there is function. I know there is existence. I know there is consciousness. And we who die in the Lord are reigning with him until he comes again. 
So we need not fear when we look at this country and we look at that country and it looks like it's in chaos and it looks like it's out of control. Know that it says in the Bible that Christ is the exalted reigning king and he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Sometimes he restrains them from doing evil and we see that that he just removes somebody from government because of the prop, the the. Uh, the trajectory of their leadership. Sometimes he frustrates their plans as, as we see that politicians have these great ideas and uh, kings have these great ideas and all of a sudden they just fall to nothing. Sometimes he orders events so that they serve his purposes. He can call Cyrus and he can call Nebuchadnezzar his servants. And so Christ is right now reigning. So he's the risen Lord. He's the exalted Lord. He's the raising, he's the reigning Lord, and he's also the returning Lord. Do you live in this expectancy that Christ is going to come back? The book of Revelation is framed by this statement again and again. It starts in chapter 1, verse 7. Behold! Now, we don't use that language, do we? But we say, look! He's coming again! This is how John wants us to, 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 to frame our living and our existing in this world with this absolute assurance and confidence that Jesus Christ is coming again. Behold, he's coming again. And then halfway through the book, or a little bit more, in Revelation 1, 16, and it says this in numerous times, but in Revelation sorry, 16, 15, Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. And then in Revelation chapter 22, three times it is repeated, Behold, I am coming soon. And so what frames our existence as we live is the glorious return of Jesus Christ. It's the blessed hope of the church. It is what sustains you and I as we go out every day, day in and day out, and live in this world and function in this world, that one day the risen, exalted, reigning Christ is going to return in all his glory. I was having a conversation with somebody about this incredible day when the Lord will return. And it says in many places in the scriptures that he's going to return in the clouds. And months ago I was reflecting on this, and, and this was just my own reflection, but I, I, I picture that as, as, and it could be symbolic, but I just picture dark clouds forming, and, and, and we just look at our world and we think, can it get any worse, and can it get any gloomier, and can it get any glummer? And then bursting out of the clouds with flashes of lightning and bursts of thunder comes our divine warrior, Jesus Christ, the blessed hope of the church, the head of the armies of the heavens, and there will be a thunderstorm like no thunderstorm has ever been experienced, and we will all be thunderstruck. And they sent me, and I probably shouldn't say it, but they sent me a video of thunderstruck. And I just had this picture and was in awe of the return of Christ. When, as John says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. So Jesus is our risen, exalted, reigning, returning Lord. And finally, he's described. And I just figured this out in the last couple of weeks. 
about the Lamb of God. Do you know that the phrase Lamb of God is not used in the Old Testament? Do you know that the phrase Lamb of God is only used, I think it's four times, five times in the Gospels and the Epistles? But the phrase or the reference to Jesus as the Lamb of God is found 28 times in the book of Revelation. Seven times four. Four, the number of wholeness. Seven, the number of perfection. John is wanting to communicate that, that, that one of the titles and one of the ways, one of the, the greatest revelations of Jesus Christ is as the Lamb of God. The first reference to the Lamb is in chapter 5 where it says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. The last reference to the Lamb of God is in Revelation chapter 22, where there we find that there in the midst of the new heaven and the new earth is the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the midst of it. And we describe that in, in, in chapter 1 verse 5 how Jesus Christ has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood. He is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. And what is the culmination of the praise of the people of God in heaven, of all the angels in heaven, of all the 24 elders who fall down? Their praise is worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Behold the Lamb of God. When you go through this year and you stumble and fall and you will and when the evil one comes along and accuses you and, and, and troubles you and, and tries to, 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 to smother you with shame and guilt, which is not bad to feel some shame and guilt and if it leads us to repentance, but after repentance it ought to be erased from us. And as the devil accuses us, we say, Get thee behind me, Satan, because the Lamb of God has redeemed me by his blood. What an incredible way to walk with confidence through this coming year that I have been redeemed by the Lamb of God, by His blood. And so we come to God through Christ. Father, there is a mystery to the death of Christ. Paul is very clear that Jesus doesn't say, this is my body which was broken for the church. It's not some general declaration about the effectiveness of the death of Christ. But he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Those of us whose names were written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. It's a mystery that is beyond my ability to articulate it. I believe it. I accept it. I know that Jesus died for my sins. And I thank you for that. So, Father, thank you for the body of Christ, for the sacrifice that you prepared to be a substitute for me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I do believe that there's a growing sense amongst many of you that God can be trusted. That Jesus Christ is worthy of your loyalty. 
And that no matter what comes your way today or tomorrow or this coming year, you will bless the Lord with all of your soul. We turn to the book of Numbers, as we often do. We just reflect on the blessing that Aaron spoke over the people of God. He said to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. God be with you.